Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hi guys, and welcome back to You Need Therapy. My name is Kat, and I'm so glad you made it here. I am a licensed therapist who lives and works in Nashville where I do therapy all day. But quick reminder, this podcast is not therapy or a substitute for therapy. Rather, this is a resource and something that may supplement your own work or encourage you to start it. Now, for today's episode, I'm so excited. We have author Lori Gottlieb, who is a psychotherapist and the New York Times bestselling author of Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, which I'm obsessed with this book. It has also sold over a million copies and is currently being adapted as a television series. I could not be more excited about this. This book was really, it became my best friend in quarantine. It is such a good book. I'm obsessed with it. Now, in addition to her writing and her clinical practice, she is also co-host of the Dear Therapist podcast, which is executive produced by Katie Couric, and she writes the Atlantic's weekly Dear Therapist advice column. Also, mind you, her recent TED Talk was one of the top 10 most watched of the year. So she's killing it. She's incredible. I cannot stress enough how much I loved her book. It just was it was really helpful to me. And in this episode together, we talk about the book, but we also talk about the themes inside of the book that came up for me during my own experience reading it. Lori is another therapist who goes to therapy, which you will find out by reading the book and listening to this conversation. And I will say her candor and exceptional writing has really humanized being a therapist for me in a way that I really needed. So I really appreciate her and the work that she's doing. Now you can learn more about Lori at lorigottlieb.com or by following her on Instagram Instagram at Lori Gottlieb one and Instagram at Lori Gottlieb underscore author. I'll put that in the show notes so you guys can click on all that and make sure you find her. Now here is my conversation with Lori. 
All right, so I have somebody really exciting here today who I've been waiting a couple of months now to talk to. Her name is Lori Gottlieb, and she wrote a book that was huge for me during the pandemic, and she's also a therapist herself. So welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and I want to start with this because I actually was recommended to read your book probably last March. So in the beginning of quarantine, the the woman who does my nails was like, I'm reading this book. And she was like, I can't stop thinking about you. Because I mean, like a lot of people, the person that she does my nails, and I tell her a lot about my life and what I'm going through. And then she also knows that I'm a therapist. And she was like, I just can't stop thinking about you. And I'm reading this book, because the way you wrote, and I it's genius to me, the way you wrote your book, maybe you should talk to someone is you have your story right next to the stories of some of the clients that you're working with. And you talk about your process as you're talking about the stories of some of these clients. And it very much humanizes, normalizes the experience of a therapist. That was my takeaway. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's interesting because I think that even though the book takes place in therapy, it's really for everybody. It's sort Mm -hmm. of a, a story about the human condition. And it, you know, you don't have to be interested in therapy to be interested in the stories of these people. And so just for people who haven't read the book, you know, in the book, I follow the lives of four very different patients as their therapist and as they go through various life issues and struggles. And there's a fifth patient in the book, and that's me mm-hmm. as I go to a therapist, as I go through something in my own life mm-hmm. and need to work that through. And I say at the beginning of the book that my most significant credential is that I'm a card carrying member of the human race. Mm-hmm that you know, I didn't want this to be a book of, I'm the expert and let me show you these cases. It's, it's yes, I'm, I'm a therapist and I help people through this thing we called life, but then I also am human. I know what it's like to be a person in the world and we all struggle. And so you see me going through my process of, of growth and change as well. Yeah, which was so powerful for me to read that because I often will describe myself as a therapist who goes to therapy. And I think Mm -hmm. it's really important. I think it's very important. But I also think, and this is part of my bias and it's part of things that I've just heard, is I think a lot of people look at therapists and they're like, their lives must be perfect. Well, I think there are two stereotypes of therapists, actually. I think there's the, they have it all together. There's that one. And then the other one, which is in the media, you know, when you watch television, it's, you know, oh, it's the therapist who's really great at work, but they're a hot mess outside of work. There's not just like therapists are just like us. They're normal people, right? Yes. Um, It's sort of one extreme or the other. And that's why they're, you know, we're making a, a TV series from maybe you should talk to someone. And my biggest goal with that TV series is just to make it just like the book mm-hmm. about a bunch of people who happen to be working through things in life. And so it's not a show about therapy. It's a show about people who happen to be therapists. So it's not that typical thing you see on TV where it's like, here's all this, you know, this, this person is having affairs and this person is like, you know, they're this, this crisis is, you know, it's, it's just like the normal stuff of life, which I think is much more relatable. I think that that's why people really responded to the book is because they can see themselves in every single one of these people. Oh, a hundred percent. Because, and, and because you did such a good job of, there were the people that you talked about, they're so different, but even I saw a little bit of me in every single one. And especially you, because one of the things that I went through a couple years ago was, and I'm not going to give too much about the book. Cause if you haven't read it, you need to just go read it. So good. It's a book that this is what I do with books. I 
I don't read a lot of them, but when I find one that I like, I like don't let myself finish it. So I started reading and I couldn't put it down. And my friends, it was quarantine, so I had a lot of time, but the people I was quarantined with would be like, wanna come hang out? And I'm like, I have to read. But then when I got, <laughs> but then when I got to the end, I had like 50 pages left and I swear it took me like six months to read the last 50 pages because I didn't want to be done with it. So I'm very excited that it's gonna be a TV show because that's a book that I'll definitely read again. But I, a couple years ago, um, had an experience of a really, really traumatic for me, but a really hard breakup. And I started going to therapy again I restarted and I had this like dissonance of I'm going to therapy and I'm like crying and I'm like getting angry and I'm 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 mad at life and I'm mad at all these things and I go to my office and I'm working with my clients and some of them are going through similar things as me but also like sometimes I have just like wiped my tears and taken a deep breath and then I walk into the room and for me at that time I wasn't talking to anybody that was like going through something just like that and so reading that book I was like this is us being humans this is just therapists being humans and having their own stuff and in the long run for me it was very helpful going through that experience it's helped me be a better therapist, but it was just very comforting to read something that I felt so connected to in that way. Right. I want to say thank you for being, I would call it pretty courageous to put parts of your story in the book. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't just parts of the story. I mean, it was, it was, the story. <laughs> it was all laid bare there. Yeah. And, and, and it's interesting because, so if you read the book, you know that I wasn't going to write this book. This was never a book that I intended to write. Mm -hmm. So I was going to write, well, I had written this piece for, I, so I'm a journalist in addition to being a therapist. Mm -hmm. I was a journalist long before I became a therapist. Therapy mm -hmm. became sort of a second career for me later on. And so I had written this piece for the Atlantic. It was a cover story called how to land your kid in therapy. Why our obsession with our kids' happiness might be dooming them to unhappy adulthoods. Mm -hmm. And it went viral. It was, you know, one of those things that went sort of crazy viral and publishers wanted me to write that book. And they offered me this exorbitant sum of money to write that book. And I say that only because I said no. Mm -hmm. And everyone thought I was crazy. They said, you did all the research already. There was so much, you know, you've written the piece, you, you, you know, it's a, it's a fast, easy book to write. And, you know, I needed to pay off like my internship and, you know, all these mm -hmm. things, like, why wouldn't you do that? But it just did not feel like the book that needed to be out there. I felt like there were a lot of overparenting books out there. And especially when you become a therapist, I think you really lean toward meaning, you lean yeah. toward purpose and you lean toward sort of what would be useful in the world. So I didn't do that. And I said, I'm really interested in what's happening with the adults. And they said, oh, you want to write a happiness book? <laughs> I said, no, I don't want to write a happiness book, but that's a, that ended up sort of being what they thought that I was going to write. And I was sort of stuck. And, you know, that's one of the subplots in the book is, and maybe you should talk to someone, is this, this thing about my really finding my voice. And um, eventually I, I canceled that book and I, and I decided to write this book. And, and I brought myself in for the reason that I said, which is that I really wanted this to be, you know, an experience of showing how we're all more the same than we are different. Mm -hmm. And I wanted every single person reading it to see themselves in every single person, including me. Yeah. And so as a mirror reflected back, so they could really almost like, like go through a therapeutic experience themselves. Which do you do? Yeah. And so nobody wanted this book. So I could not, you know, now it's sold over a million copies. It's, oh. you know, it's, it's all over the world. It's, and, and, but, but I think that what's interesting is that nobody wanted it. I almost couldn't sell it. And, you know, this one publisher took it on 
And by the way, not for a lot of money um, <laughs> compared to the other one. And, and so I just thought I'm free to write whatever I want to write. If they think like only three people will read this, then I'm really free. I don't have to worry about people reading my story. And then I turned it into the publisher after I wrote it. And they were like, oh my gosh, I laughed. I cried. I learned. I grew. I, I gave it to people. Uh, these people are like living in my, my mind, my soul. And I thought, okay, well, maybe like 3000 people will read it. Mm -hmm. And I had this moment where I thought maybe I should kind of clean myself up with my story. Maybe I should take out the parts where, oh, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm being extremely vulnerable, but I didn't. And I think that's why so many people have read it and why it became sort of this, this massive success, because I think that people want authenticity. Yeah. They want to see the real, the raw, the, you know, like every thought feeling that they feel like they're alone in. Oh my gosh, somebody else has that. Not only does somebody else have that, but a therapist has that. It was an invitation. That book is an invitation to show up and that be yes. okay. Like that's really what it is because that last sentence you said, like not just another person doesn't feel like this, but a therapist does. It's an invitation to be yourself and that be literally okay and be yourself in the sense that like the messy parts because that's one of the struggles that I think our culture is having a lot right now as much as I love social media and Instagram and all of that, but it always is going to be a majority highlight reel. And that book is an invitation that like with the good, because there's so much goodness in that book. Oh, yeah, I think I mean, I think it's a very hopeful. Yeah, book, but it, you know, it's like, it's a very funny book. And it's very hopeful. And it's also, you know, it will, there's a tissue box on the cover for a reason you will cry. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more more info now right here right now find your beautiful new floor at right rug flooring choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee visit rightrug.com that's r-i-t-e-r-u-g.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you 24-month financing is available with approved credit for 90 years we've been right here right now Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. You mentioned something that I kind of, I'm curious about. So your first career was not being a therapist. Right. And I am just so curious about that process for you because that's something that comes up, I'm sure in your office, in my office all the time is purpose and passion and finding the one thing you're going to do with your life and how do you know if it's right? And I'm very curious about that process for you and what that looked like in the internal struggle of like, I'm doing this, but now maybe I want to do this, but maybe I want to do this and how you listened to yourself. 
because you listen to yourself. Yeah, that's such an important question because I really had to let go of society's expectations of, Mm -hmm. you know, what a career is supposed to look like and what people are supposed to do with their lives. Mm -hmm. And I think at the end of the day, you kind of say, well, I get this one life. And so why wouldn't I want to be the one making the decisions about how I spend my time Mm -hmm. every day in my life? But most of us don't think that way. Mm -hmm. We think we think that way, Mm -hmm. but then we really get influenced by a lot of these louder voices outside. And we can't hear that voice inside that place of knowing that we all have inside. It gets drowned out by those louder voices. So when I graduated from college, I was always an avid reader. I loved story and I loved the human condition. And I loved stories that really captured the human condition in a way that resonated, that moved me, that transformed me. And it made me feel like, oh, I connect with this person, this character in a novel, mm-hmm. this, um, this situation, mm-hmm. or, it, or it elucidates some truth about the human condition that I related to, that mm-hmm. I had experienced, um, or I had seen in, in the people that I love. And so I started working in the entertainment business, first doing film development, and then I moved over to network television development. And I write about all of this in the book. It's because I wanted this story to be told as well, this this evolution. I think other people have seen, um, have felt so much freedom by reading it and really questioned some of their choices and gave them permission to say, wait a minute, am I really stuck in this thing or can I do something else? And so I, I went over to NBC. It was the year that Friends in ER were premiering. So this was a long time ago. And one of the things that I was doing on ER was we had a consultant on the show who was an ER doc and I would spend time in the ER with him and come up with story ideas. And he kept saying to me, I think you like it better here than you like your day job because I always wanted to be there even when I didn't need to be. And eventually I decided to apply to medical school because I loved the real stories. The, the, the stories on ER were amazing. I mean, that's why that show resonated with so many people. But I think when you're dealing with real live human beings in, in the moment, there's, there's a completely different level of, I think, engagement and connection and purpose and meaning, again, going back to that. And so I I went to medical school. um, And when I was in medical school, I started writing. And I ended up leaving medical school to become a journalist, where I felt like I could really tell people stories. I felt like there was so much about like getting in the trenches with people and really, you know, being able to examine those stories and tell those stories and share those stories. And it was later after I had a baby when for anybody who's had a baby, um, they know that it can be very isolating in terms of adult conversation. And so I remember that like we would get so many deliveries and the UPS guy would come to the door all the time and I would detain him with like, how's the weather out there? And do you have kids? And he would like kind of like try to, you know, back away to his big brown truck. And, <laughs> and eventually we actually became friends and there's a story in the book about that. But anyway, I, I decided to call up the dean at the medical school that I was at. And I said, you know, maybe I should come back and do psychiatry. And she said, you know, psychiatry is a lot of medication management. You would go through all this training with a baby, with a toddler. And um, do you really want to do that when you could do the the deep work that you want to do and get a graduate degree in political psychology Mm -hmm. and, and, and do what you've always talked about doing, which is, you know, going through these deep experiences with people and sort of guiding and witnessing. And it was excellent advice. And that's what I did. And so I feel like I went from telling people stories as a journalist to helping people to edit their stories Mm -hmm. as a therapist. And I did a Mm -hmm. TED talk about this, how, you know, how changing our stories can change our lives and how people come into therapy with one story 
And what we really do in there is edit that story so they can leave with a completely different story and a much more accurate story. Mm -hmm. And accurate, yes. And you know what you're speaking to, which is so important is also this I, timeline idea that runs rampant in in society about because you're saying you started one career then you went to medical school and then you left medical school and then you felt comfortable going back but you didn't and then you did this other thing I don't hear you saying and maybe you had these feelings but it's too late or my time has passed or by the time I graduate I'll be this age like I think so often that's what people think but also you're doing right now what you were created to do. And the only way you would have be doing that is you let yourself, like the timeline thing just drives me wild and I struggle with it too. I think there's this idea of sunk costs that, um, you know, oh, someone says, yeah. I've invested this many years in this career, so I can't switch now because look at all, look at all the time that yeah. I've invested in this career. And then if I start over, I'll be starting at the bottom, which you will. Right. But the thing is, you know, I remember when I was doing my internship and I was one of the oldest people there, obviously, because most people were just out of, mm-hmm. um, you know, they were in grad school and were just out of grad school. And I was like a good, you know, 15 years older than they were. And I remember everybody was sort of like, oh, how many more, you know, how long will it take before I get my hours for licensure? And then I'll take my boards and then I'll get licensed. And and one of our supervisors heard this and she walked by and she said, what does it matter how old you're going to be? Like, you're going to turn 40 anyway. You know, it doesn't matter. You know, you don't you want to be doing what you're doing. Right. So she said something like, what was it? The speed of light is outdated. Now everybody moves at the speed of want. And, And I thought that was so, so important for us to hear, but we couldn't hear it. Like we couldn't hear it at that time. We were just rushing, rushing, rushing through our days. Like most of us do just like get through the day, rush through the days, achieve this, get this, accomplish this. And then we always say, when this happens, when my child turns this age, I will this, you know, when this happens, I will do this, you know, in five years, here's the plan. But you don't know, you know, and I think one of the things that maybe you should talk to someone my book does is it really brings home this idea that we don't know how long we have on this earth, right? That, you know, life has a hundred percent mortality rate. And that's not just for other people. That hundred percent includes us. And we don't know how or when we're going to die. And I think that we are all death deniers. We say, well, that's not going to happen to me for a very long time. And then the reality is, and you see this in medical school, by the way, people of all ages die at all different times for all different reasons, even getting hit by a car or a sudden stroke or heart attack or whatever it is. And I don't say that to to make people anxious. I say that because I think an awareness of death helps us to live our lives more fully. It helps us to be more alive in the moment. Mm -hmm. And so many of us are not living in the present. We're living in the future or the past. And so when I was doing all of these careers, which is so many people said to me, you know, well, why would you do that? Or you're, you know, you're, you're 30 and you're going to med school and why would you do that? Or you're going to, you, you did all these, all these post back pre-med classes to get into med school and you got into Stanford, right? So you like worked really hard to do this and you're going to leave. Like, you don't do that. Like at least finish, at least finish. And then you can say you got the MD and I'm like, why? I know that that's not what I want to do. So I've done my two years. Why do the next two years when I can go and do the thing I want to do? I don't want to like just spend those two years. that I'm never going to get back doing something I know I don't want to do. 
Well, and isn't that speaking to what you said earlier about like, you are the one that has to live your life. So if if you're going to school and and getting that degree, because then you have that degree, okay, but if you don't want it, why does it, it's not going to matter? Well, that's the thing about, again, so going back to sunk costs and opportunity costs. So the sunk cost is, yes, I I invested all that time and money in, in the first two years of medical school, but the opportunity cost would be if I stay in medical school, I'm losing the opportunity Right. To go do the thing that I want to do during those two years, which will help me move forward in the thing that I want to do. So you have to look at it in terms of opportunity cost. What are you giving up by doing the thing that you don't actually want to do? People do this in relationships all the time, by the way. They're like, I've been in this relationship for so long. I really want to save it. I really want to keep working at this relationship. And clearly Mm -hmm. that is not the relationship. Mm -hmm. And yet people feel like, oh, but then I have to start all over and I don't know what's going to happen. And maybe I won't meet another person. Person, and then they spend another three years in that relationship. And three years later, they're like, I wish I had left three years ago. Mm-hmm. I wasted three more years mm-hmm. in this relationship that I knew was not the right relationship for me. Mm-hmm. And I think what people fail to see in that, because you're right, people do that all day long, is that that two years of medical school, y- you benefited from that. You still got something out of that. And that's helping a lot of what you are doing now probably what you've seen and what you learned in that area what you learn in relationships you take that into the next relationship you take that into the next moment of your life what you're learning about yourself people and in the world so it's it's not so much the wasted time thing is so hard to, for me to hear sometimes because I know I've said it myself but also it's like no like you were living in those moments you were still gaining experience in those moments like in relationships, you're still allowed to enjoy the moments that were joyful in those relationships. They're not wasted. You are happy. Well, right. So, so people, it was such a good point because people, when they leave a relationship, they say, well, that was just wasted time. First of all, you probably learned a lot about yourself and how you are in relationship. And you also probably had some really good times that, that are, that are Mm -hmm. not erased because the relationship ended. Right. Those good times are still part of your life experience, just like the other times are part of your life experience. Mm -hmm. Why do you think people do that? Why? Just your perspective of why do you think when somebody, and it doesn't always happen, but uh, oftentimes when people end a relationship, it's like all of that is wasted. I'm like, but wait a second. Two months ago, you were telling me about how much fun you had on a trip or this night or this date or this conversation that you learned. Like, why do you think people are so quick to like, everything's bad all of a sudden? I think because it brings up the pain and people don't want to feel the discomfort of that. You know, it's complicated the feelings that people have when something ends. And so it's so much easier for people to say it was all bad and I'm done with that Mm -hmm. because then they don't have to feel those complicated feelings of, but there were things I loved about this person and Mm -hmm. I had to lose that when I gave up this relationship. And so they can't sit with the, I gave up certain things that were, that I really loved. And I gave up certain things that, and I gave up this, this idea of the future that I had with this person had to die. Mm -hmm. Right. Because when you're with someone, you're not just in the present with them, you're in the future with them too. You're thinking like, this is how the future is going to go. And when something like that ends, not only did that experience end, but the future you associated with it ended as well. You know, it happens too with any kind of loss. Like, let's say that they have like, they're pregnant and they have a miscarriage, right? Mm-hmm. People think, oh, well, if they'll, you know, they'll get pregnant again or, or, or they'll, it's, you know, it's like a, like a discreet incident, but no, it's like you won't not only lost the, the baby that you were carrying, 
right? But you lost the future you associated with that. You had had a whole story in your head. And we as humans tell stories. That's why story is such an important part of maybe you should talk to someone. And it's also what my TED Talk is about. And it's also what we do on our on our podcast, mm-hmm. on the Dear Therapist podcast. I think that people think in stories. Mm-hmm. Humans make sense of our world and our lives through story. And so anything that happens in our lives, it's a story that we create. And there's not just the present moment of it, but there's the history of it. And then there's the future that we envision mm-hmm. will happen. And so now it's like, you've lost the baby, but you've lost this, this whole story you had about what would happen with this child mm-hmm. that you were carrying. And so people think people are going to get over a miscarriage very quickly. And often, you know, they don't because it's like a silent loss. People feel like yeah. you don't understand what I've actually lost here. Yeah. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Now, I want to transition a little bit because I do want you to talk about this because this was, I think, a really important part of some of the stuff that I I read, part of your book. I want you to talk a little bit about the difference between, because as a therapist and you're giving all this awesome like truth and and stuff that some people aren't willing to say, I want you to talk about the difference between the the wise and idiot compassion a little bit. Can you explain that? Yeah. I think that people who haven't been to therapy think, well, I can just talk to my friends about this stuff. And we should talk to Mm -hmm. our friends, right? Mm -hmm. These relationships are very important. The thing is that your friends are not therapists. And so they don't see you in the way that maybe um, somebody who's trained to see certain things does. And your friends, most of all, are not objective. Now, we're not objective either. We're human beings and we have all kinds of thoughts and feelings and our own life experience. Like you go to one therapist, they're going to be very different from another therapist. So it's not it's not like you're going to a robot, right? You're going to a human being and every therapist you go to will, will be different. But I think that one thing that all therapists have in common is that going to a therapist is kind of like getting a really good second opinion on your life from someone who's not already in your life. And that's the part that's so important. We are not already in your life. So we can see things from a different vantage point. We have that advantage. And so idiot compassion is like your friend says, you know, here's what happened with my my partner, my sibling, my mother, my boss, right? 
and we say, yeah, you were right. They were wrong. That's terrible. Right. So we just support them blindly. We go along with them because we Mm -hmm. feel like that is going, that's what being a good friend Mm -hmm. is. Now, I think in our heads, we know, well, being a good friend is also being honest. So we want to be honest, but I think our tendency is like, we don't want to hurt our friends' feelings and we're righteously indignant on behalf of our friends because we're only hearing their version of the story. We don't actually know what the other version of the story is. So based on their version of the story, we're like, yeah, absolutely. That's terrible. But if you actually listen to your friend's stories over time, you might hear a pattern. It's kind of like if a fight breaks out in every bar you're going to, maybe it's you. We don't say that to our friends. So it's kind of like, oh, wait, that's the third time that someone has broken up with her because she has kind of like been overly needy or she mm-hmm. snooped through his things or, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever it is. Right. Or she, or she, or she can't handle intimacy and she, she, you know, kind of like pushes the person away or mm-hmm. whatever it is. And by the way, amazing as she or it could be anybody. Mm-hmm. Okay. I just want to be clear. This happens with any mm-hmm. gender. And so, you know, we, we support our friends in that way. Wise compassion is what you get in therapy. It's we hold up a mirror to you and we help you to see something about yourself that maybe you haven't been willing or able to see. And we do it with compassion. That's why it's called wise compassion. But we're helping you to see another version of the story. We're helping you to see another perspective. We're helping to shine a light on your blind spots, something that you haven't been able to see. And the purpose of that is to give you agency in your own life, to make you not a role player in your own life, but to be the protagonist in your life. Because if you're reacting to everything and you feel like helpless and here's what happens to you, what is your role in that? How can you, and not only, and by the way, there's a saying, you know, that we have as therapists, which is that before diagnosing someone with depression, make sure they aren't surrounded by assholes. Right. And so and so it's not we're not saying there are difficult people out there. We're not saying that people maybe are not Mm -hmm. treating you well. We're saying, but but what do you do in reaction to that? Why are you in relationship with this person? Do you need to be? And maybe if you need to be for lots of reasons that people do need to be family members, et cetera. And by the way, you don't always need to be, but say you want to be. Then, you know, what is the dance that you're doing with this person? And can you change your dance steps so that you have more power, control, agency choices in this interaction? You're talking about coming from a victim stance to the hero in your story. Like if we bring it back to the story, like that's- I would say like a helpless, a helpless stance, right? Um, You know, we see that. So I have this this podcast called Dear Therapists Mm -hmm. and we do sessions. Like you can hear actual sessions on the podcast. I have a co-therapist, Guy Winch with me. And what's so interesting about that is it goes right to this question that you're asking of, you know, how do people change? And, and how does wise compassion help them to change? And so here you have two therapists, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's, it's, it's actually, you're getting two doses of, of wise mm-hmm. compassion. And you see how in even one session that people can go from coming in with one story. And you, if you listen to, to the episode, it's, it's an actual therapy session. At the end of it, they have a very different perspective on the issue that they came in with no matter what it is. And I think that that helps so many people. It's kind of like free therapy for people because people have said like, I didn't have that particular issue, but I used so much of what was said in that session in my own life. And so I think, you know, therapy, and you know this as a clinician, that therapy happens in the room and not a lot of people get to have that experience. And so what we're doing is we're bringing therapy out of the therapy room and into people's earbuds Mm -hmm. so that they can have that experience too. Because I think that the more that we talk about this, the more we just normalize these conversations, mm-hmm. the more that people have tools and understanding and self-understanding and especially self-compassion, but self-compassion with a purpose, self-compassion with 
with an eye toward and how can I grow and change and move forward? It's good not only for individual people, but for the for like the people that we're in relationship with and for society at large. Yeah, there's a nuance to what you're doing too, right? So wise compassion isn't you being an asshole to your client and being like, this is your fault, you're doing this, blah, blah, blah. It comes with like compassion generally, but grace and a relationship that you've built and an understanding. And I think another thing, and I don't know if I've heard you say this in your book, but also when you're, you're giving the feedback that needs to be given you don't give it to them in the middle of their like most painful moment well so right so i think it's interesting because what happens in the therapy room is a microcosm of what happens outside the therapy room so whatever people do outside if they pull away when they get too close if they hide things if they're not honest um if they project onto you all kinds of things like you don't like me or you know whatever it is um they probably are doing that outside the therapy Mm -hmm. room too. And so what's great is in those moments where it's safe, where they trust you and you've built trust with them. And you can say in this way where it's not a criticism, right? right? They don't, it doesn't, doesn't come across that way. It's actually this very loving um, moment of, I see you and you, and I'm embracing what I see Mm -hmm. and you are lovable just the way you are. And you're getting in your own way. And let's look at this moment. Let's look at what just happened here between us in this, in this really loving, compassionate space that we've created between us. Let's look at this. And so the reason people can't look at some of the things that they're doing is because of shame. They just, shame is something where the doors are shut. If you feel shame, you don't want to go anywhere near that. You don't want anyone to see you. But if you can create a space in the therapy room for someone where they don't feel shame, where they feel embraced, where they feel accepted, where they feel that you really care about them. And we truly do. We can't, we can't be effective with people if we don't authentically feel that way about the person who's sitting a few feet away from us. Mm-hmm. And so when you have created that, it's this magical space that we don't get so much out in the world. And that's where you can say things to people like, let's notice what's happening. Let's understand that. I see you just did this. I think that also happens outside of here too. Can we just slow down and understand that a little bit better right now? And the feeling when someone does that for you, because obviously, so in the book, you see my therapist do that for me too. Mm -hmm. It's just the most delicious feeling of, wow, I feel so connected right now. I feel so loved right now. I feel so cared for right now. Cared for. That's like, that. that's what is coming to me. It's like cared for. The, the moment where somebody is willing to notice these little things that nobody else is noticing in your life and, and sit in this uncomfortable spot with you and share that with you, that is huge. It's that expression we have of feeling felt. Yeah. Right? It's that expression, I feel felt. And that's what you want in therapy. So you want the people who come to see you, you want yeah. them to have that feeling of feeling felt. Mm-hmm. And then they can translate that out into the world. So then it's like, how do they get that out in the world? How do they set boundaries? How do they ask for it? How do they show up? How, how can they be the person they want to be in their relationships as well as find people who will be the person that they want mm-hmm. to be in relationship with, right? Yeah. Um, you see that in Charlotte in the book, because this young woman in her 20s who, who comes to me and um, she keeps ending up in these relationships with these guys who just, you know, are not good for her. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't see her own role in that. She thinks it's like, oh, guys, man, they're like that. Um, you know, one point she even ends up like hooking up with a guy in the waiting room 
I don't mean by the way that they're hooking up in the waiting room. They're not They're. Um, I have a suite of therapists and um, this, this guy is there to see another therapist, but I know he's bad news. I know it because she has radar for that because it's this repetition compulsion that I talk about in the book of, you know, kind of trying to kind of recreate this thing from childhood that she thinks is different from people who disappointed her in childhood, but end up, she has radar for people who have some of the same qualities that she can't see yet. And, and so it isn't until she sort of untangles that, that, that she's able to find people who, who are the kinds of people that she wants to be in relationship with. But I think that that's what therapy does. And that's the difference between idiot compassion and wise compassion, that it's the wise compassion that helps you to, to really understand the role that you're playing in your own life instead of the idiot compassion, which is like, yeah, oh my gosh, they were wrong. I'm so sorry that happened. You know, it, it's a really transformative experience to sit in a room with somebody who can see the truth of you and for you to be able to show the truth of who you are and not be ashamed of it and to say, this is who I am and I'm showing up. I always say that like therapy, and I love that you even brought this up, like therapy to me is an experiment for the real world because you're, you're, you are doing things that you end up doing in the real world. And so this is an experiment of how can you play around with something different and showing up full and letting somebody see you and letting somebody like open up certain wounds and letting somebody like that's all an experiment. And if we can do it in this safe environment, maybe one day you can do it out in the world. Maybe one day you can take that out. Right, right. And we don't learn this growing up, right? Mm -hmm. So what do we learn growing up? We learn, you know, all the subjects that we learn in school, but we don't learn relationships. And by the way, by relationships, I mean, relationship to self as well as relationship to others. And and why by relationship to self, I mean, we don't know how to be kind to ourselves. So when I when I'm giving talks, so often I will say to people, who is the person that you talk to most in the course of your life? You know, show of hands. I'll say that from the stage and you get lots of hands for is it is it your partner? Is it your parents? Is it your sibling? Is it your best friend? Lots of hands. But the person that we talk to most in the course of our lives is ourselves. And what we say to ourselves isn't always kind or true or useful. And and so I had this therapy client who was so self-critical and actually pained me to watch her beat herself up like that. It, 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 like you can feel it as therapists, you can feel in your body, you know, something that maybe you can't even express with words. And, and I would just get this like knot in my stomach when she would just insult herself all the time. And she didn't even hear herself do this. And I said, listen, I want you to go home and I want you to write down everything you say to yourself over the course of a few days. I want you to listen for that voice and then come back and we'll talk about it next week. And when she came back the next week, she started, you know, she had written everything down. She started to read it and she just started to cry. And she said, I am such a bully to myself. And the things that she said to herself were things like, she, she was typing an email and she said to herself, you're so stupid. Why? <laughs> you know, would, would you say that to a friend? Would you even think that about your friend? If, if your friend made a typo while typing an email where she caught her reflection in, you know, like walking down the street and she was like, God, you look terrible, right? Just the ways that we could be so self-critical. And so, you know, she, she had this new mantra, is it kind? Is it true? Is it useful? And it really changed the internal dialogue that she was having, but nobody teaches us this. Nobody makes us aware of this. Nobody teaches us that and makes us aware of that. But what I think the world teaches us a lot is like that criticism is like motivating in a sense. Right. That, that somehow yeah. if you self-flagellate, then you're holding yourself accountable. Yeah. And what self-flagellation does is it really just shrouds you in shame. Yeah. You start to feel like I'm bad. I'm worthless. I'm not good enough. And eventually what it does is it makes you not want to even try. 
Mm-hmm. And so what you do with self-compassion is it says, like, even when you've done something regrettable, mm-hmm. if you can have compassion and say, I regret that. And I take responsibility for mm-hmm. it. That's the most important part. I, t- I can take responsibility for something and have compassion for myself. I can hold those two things together. I can be responsible. I can, I can do what I need to do to repair what I need to repair. And I can have compassion for the person I was in that moment. And I can do it differently next time. Mm-hmm. Amen. And all of that will help you to grow and change. If yeah. you self-flagellate, it's going to be harder to do something different next time because you're still going to be beating yourself up. Uh, yes. Amen. Beautifully said. Thank you. And I want to keep going on this, but I know we're out of time. So we're going to, that's a good kind of wrap up place. But I think that is so important for that message to be spread and that lesson to be taught. And we can teach that through therapy, but we can even just teach that through conversations like this and sharing these kinds of conversations that we're having. So thank you so much. That's what, that's why people say, you know, why did you write this, this book? Maybe you should talk to someone is because I feel like once people see what these conversations look like, they can start having them in their own lives. And same with the Dear Therapist podcast, right? Like once you hear these conversations, you can actually just listen to them. Mm-hmm. Um, then it started, starts becoming part of your own internal dialogue and it starts becoming part of your way of relating to other people too. Yeah. So we, you know, we as therapists, I think, you know, if we could just see everybody, we would, but we have limited space in our practices. And so this is a way of really democratizing therapy, democratizing emotional health and really bringing it to everybody so that we can all live the lives that we want to live. Yeah. Yes. Normalizing all of it for sure. So thank you so much. And obviously guys, you need to read her book. It's so good. And listen to the podcast because that's a unique experience in itself that I don't know anybody else who's doing that. And um, because it's you, I know that it's done in a a, a good, helpful, useful way. So thank you for having this conversation. So much appreciate you for having these conversations on your podcast. I'm so glad you're doing this. Yeah. Well, it's fun and it speaks to what we just ended with. So yeah, thank you. I think people are going to get a lot out of this for sure. No, my pleasure. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.